open our time today by uh, the reading of God's word. We'll pray and, and uh, get right into it. So once again, that's Exodus chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 6. It says this, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called out to him of the, uh, called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. That is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the time of worship that we have. Uh, we have been able to sing songs of your glory, of your grace, of your beauty. Uh, and, and we, as the songs say, we stand in awe of you. I, I pray that that's where we are, that we see your holiness. We see your otherness that you are from us, your transcendence. And we are in awe of you that, that you would be mindful of us. Out of all of creation, you have put your image on us. God, we are people who rebelled against you, who have shook our fist at you, who have transgressed against your law. But in spite of that, by your own wounds, when you came to dwell among us, a profane, wicked people, you bore the weight of our sin to set us free from that wickedness that we put ourselves in. God, it is a beautiful gift that we have been given, and we love you because of it, because you first loved us. Our prayer today is that as our hearts were prepared through song and prayer and the reading of your word for the, the proclamation of your word, that, that uh, these seeds fall on fertile soil and they just produce a, a fruit that honors you. That is our prayer today, Lord, that we hear your voice today, not, not the voice of, of man, but the voice of God, that you are proclaimed above all else, that your words are heard and, and we follow that. Uh, that is our prayer today, and we ask for this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So what is holiness? Why is it important? Uh, why should it have an impact on my life? These are questions that we should all be asking ourselves. 1 Peter 1.16 says, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Peter goes on in his letter to say, We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen. So what, is, what does holy mean? We hear holy used in a lot of ways, many, many ways. Uh, we hear it used as an expletive. When people say stuff like holy cow or, or definitely worse than that. Uh, we've also possibly heard it used to mask behavior that is unfit for worship, like the term holy laughter. But rarely do we hear it used, hear it or use it 
in a way that scripture commands or prescribes its use. To be holy means to be set apart. It means to be consecrated, distinguished, or distinct in use. There is a separation from the profane or the common things of this world and the things that are holy. So when we think about that, God is holy. Not just holy, but holy, holy, holy. He is perfectly, completely, and I'm going to use the word again like I did last week, immutably holy. Therefore, for us, holiness is a likeness to God. It is a striving to be obedient to God, to call him my own, and to be known as his. So why is holiness important? It is because holiness isn't a ladder we climb to look down at others, but a separation to point others to the way that is distinct from the broad path that leads to destruction. So with that, I want to encourage you with the fact that your holiness is not about you. It is 100% about God, his glory, and the good of others. So I ask you, does holiness have an impact on your life? Today in our passage, we will see that how, how the holiness of God impacted the life of Moses. So I want to give us our sermon summary uh, before we get into the passage and start working through it. It is this, God is like no other, and his holiness serves as a reminder to us of that. Once again, God is like no other, and his holiness serves as a reminder to us of that. Amen. So let's reread verses 1 through 4 and see how the uh, holiness of God impacted the life of Moses. Starting in verse 1, it says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is burned, excuse me, is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. So to kind of recap where we've been in the last two weeks, three weeks, Uh, We see Moses now is a shepherd. He went from a prince of Egypt to a shepherd of Midian. And he was content with his life. He he liked the life that he had. He had a a good life. Uh, If we go back a chapter in in chapter 2, verse 21, it says, And Moses was content to dwell with the man, speaking of Jethro. And he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah. So Moses, this murder, right, we can't forget that he was a murderer, uh, fled Egypt because of the crime that he committed. He killed an Egyptian. He came to the land of Midian and found comfortability, right? He found this life that he enjoyed. In Egypt, uh, you could say it was mo' money, mo' problems. Uh, but in Midian, Midian, he had no money and no problems. It was a good life, right? He had nothing to worry about. He worked for his father-in-law. Things were, were good for him. He was content. Forty years he lived this life. He had a wife. He had kids. He had a family. He had it made. He had everything that you can think that you would want just naturally. He didn't have to work hard for it. 
No one was looking for him anymore. He wasn't fearful of his life. He just had to go to work, come home, and enjoy his family. Right? I mean, I think any of us as men, that, that's what we want to do. We want to just kind of go to work, come home, and, and, and enjoy life. There's, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. This is, this, is what, this is where Moses' life took him. But God had other plans. And he brought about this plan by getting Moses' attention through a burning bush. Now, this word for bush here refers to a small thorny bush. Uh, we have to remember that this, this was in, the, in an arid desert type of place. Uh, you're not going to see big, lush trees and gardens, but this was a, a small, insignificant little thorny bush that he would more than likely try to, try to avoid if he could. It was something that wouldn't necessarily draw attention to itself. So what can we say from the outset about the burning bush that God made uh, that God used to draw his attention to it. Well, what we can say from just the outlook is God will use whatever means necessary to get our attention. Amen, right? <clears throat> so we may ask ourselves, well, I wouldn't mind seeing a burning bush for God to get my attention, right? That would be kind of, if one of these bushes outside started burning up and God spoke to us, that'd be like, dang, okay, cool. Let's, what you got for me, God? This is a, this is a miracle. Uh, but that's typically not how things work nowadays. Uh, now, what could happen is we can burn through all our money in our account because we have medical expenses or we lost our job or something like that would happen. And God could typically or would use that to get our attention. <clears throat> now, I'm not saying that we should be looking for signs for how God is going to direct us in our life. If we're going this path and he's going to send up flares and directors to turn us so we avoid other things. Uh, but what I am saying is that God will do whatever he wills to get our attention. Now, what God has done for us is he has given us his word, and his word has given us everything we need for this life and godliness, right? So is there a need for burning bushes? No, God has spoken to us through his word, and we now we use this to direct our path. But what we can say, that that's the good news, but what we can say is, we cannot put it past God that anything in this life that we have is untouchable by him. He has spoken through the prophet Isaiah when he says, I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. God will do what it takes to get our attention. He is the one that is God and deserves all praise, all glory, and all honor. Amen. So on a side note, uh, if, if you don't know God's will for your life, I would love to have a quick discussion with you to point you to one scripture that will show you what God's will is for your life. And you're like, oh, that maybe piqued some, some interest here, got some ears poking. But literally, there's one verse that I can point to that, that will show you the will of God for your life. If you have 10 seconds, I can share that with you after service. Uh, but just know that God has spoken clearly through his word. And this, it's not a joke. I'm being serious. Uh, so back to the topic, right? God not only gets our attention uh, through these things, through the means that he sees fit, but then he also calls us to him, right? He not just tries to send up these warning signals, he calls us to himself. And not only does he call us to himself, but he does so affectionately. I say this because in verse 4, God calls out to Moses from the bush by saying, Moses, Moses. In ancient Jewish culture, this was thought of as being an endearing gesture given among family members when your name is repeated twice. 
this is why Moses' response was, here I am, right? It may seem weird that out of nowhere, he's just, oh, here I am, like to some random voice. Uh, but this goes to show the way that, that God approached Moses was in, was in a compassionate, affectionate way uh, instead of a, like, Moses, who is that? You know, right, that wasn't the response that he gave. He said, here I am. So we see that God called him in an affectionate manner. And we know through God's word that it is God's kindness that's meant to lead us to repentance. So what was exactly, so what exactly is God doing with Moses in this, in this time, right? He has called out to him, but he didn't just call to get his attention. He has called Moses to his side. He has called him to service to the one true God, to the king of kings, the Lord of lords. His days of tending the flock of Jethro had come to an end. And as we continue to walk through Exodus, we will see that Moses is now being called to shepherd the flock of God's people by delivering them out of the hand of Pharaoh and bringing them back to the mountain where they would worship the one true God and be taken from there to the land flowing with milk and honey. It's a great story, right? This is, this is a wonderful truth, right? God is using Moses to deliver his people. This man who decided it was his life to be a shepherd, to kind of flee from his troubles, to live a life of comfort, to just be a shepherd and not, not have many things. This is the guy that God was going to use to deliver his people. So the story doesn't end with just this call, right? And, and we're not going to get into what goes on later in, in, uh, in Exodus, but we, we're going to talk about this calling that, that has been given to Moses. So what else is going on here in our passage? Well, let's look at verses 5 and 6. I want to reread those uh, for context, it says, then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So as, as I've read this before, as I first started studying this passage, I, it, I, always, I always wondered, like, why... Like, why sandals? Like, why not a cloak? Or I know when people come to church, typically they take off their hat. You know, there's all these different signs that, that we use. Why? What's the significance of the sandals? That, that's the way my mind works. That's where I go. But as I've read and studied over this passage, uh, the less I believe it really truly has anything to do with, with sandals in and of themselves. Pastor Ricky has, has helped me in, uh, to, to see the holiness and reverence of Christ as not mere outward acts. Uh, this is something he, he's, he's really helped us with or helped me with personally. Uh, you know, certain postures that we take in certain things are, are, are helpful, but what does God truly look at? Is he looking at these acts that we're going through? Is he looking at, 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 at the words that I say, the way that I move, you know, the way we... we we sing, are those the things that he looks at? I believe what God truly looks at and what he tells us through his word is the heart. It's the heart that is our, our biggest problem, right? Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways. And listen to this, according to the fruit of his deeds. Right, we've heard people say, well, God knows my heart. You know, I'm going to do this, but he knows my heart. That, that is a, a very, very deep uh, thing to say. God truly does know our hearts. He knows the intentions 
of our heart. We need to be careful when we use phrases like that uh, because God truly knows us better than anyone else does. This is why we are told in Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Right? Our heart is where the trouble lies. Not in the sandals, not in the hat, not, not, in the, not so much in the actions in themselves, uh, but they are... In, in the heart. Now we do benefit from time to time with these, these things from Moses taking off the sandals, us taking off the hat, doing certain things, certain traditions. They, they're a visible, tangible reminder uh, of us, of God's grace, of his holiness, of, of the reverence we should have, but we should not trust in those things. They can be beneficial, but our trust should not be in them. So our problem with these things, with the taking off of the sandals, with, with our posture and, and the things that we hold uh, as tradition, we cling to those tangible things instead of the intangible things. We cling to the things that are seen instead of the things that are unseen. For example, we tend to want to correct behavior uh, instead of the sin issue that got us into the problem in the first place. We say things like, well, if I just stop cussing, or stop yelling, or stop fighting, I'll be, a, I'll be way better than I am now, right? If, if I could just stop these things, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be a better Christian, whatever that means. Uh, but what we should be saying, we should be saying things like, the, uh, like David said, which I'm going to modernize what he said for us. We should say stuff like this. If I repent of my sins against a holy God and trust in the finished work of Christ, for all my righteousness, I guard my heart against self-righteousness, and I honor Christ in my body, and holiness will be a result of it. Right? Instead of trying to focus on the, the fruits of these, these things that we do, it's the root, it's the actual tree that, that causes the problem. We should be repenting of our sins against a holy God, a God who is completely set apart from the things of this earth, we should be trusting in what Christ has done for us, uh, clinging to him and only him to help us, to give us the strength to, to stop these actions that are transgressions against his law. So what, what, am I, what I'm saying is a heart change is what leads to habit change, not the other way around, right? It, it is the heart that needs to be changed uh, that leads to changes in our behaviors, so what I am not saying is that we should ever go cold turkey, right? Some people just need to just cut things off, never look at them again, and continue running and running from them. That is, that is something that is, is beneficial to us, right? As John Owen said, be killing sin or it will be killing you, right? Be about the business of weeding your, your life of sins, weeding out those things or they're going to overtake you. So, but with that, like I said, I'm not saying we can't go cold turkey, but what I am saying is that if you're doing these things, right, I need to do A, B, and C, and it's going to make me a better Christian, or if I just stop these things, I can focus on these other things. What I am saying is if we're relying on our own strength to get through these things, we will fail, and we will fail miserably. That is not holiness, that is haughtiness. 
right? If you don't know the word haughtiness, that's, that's pride, right? That's me relying on my own strength to do these things. And God tells us he, he gives grace to the humble and he opposes the proud, right? He's sternly, he's a brick wall and we're just running into it when we try to do things our own way. But what scripture says is that if we wait upon the Lord and his strength, we will mount up on wings like eagles. We will run and not grow weary. We will walk and not grow faint. That is holiness, right? That's holiness, not me trying to grit my teeth, pull myself up by my bootstraps. Holiness is completely and totally relying on God and his strength, right? Through the midst of trouble, through everything that we've gone through in life and will continue to go through life, chronic pain, suffering, loneliness, uh, depression, whatever it is, relying on God and his strength. He's the one that will, re- will remain. He's the one that will keep us from growing weary, the one that will keep us from fainting as we do these things that he's called us to. Amen. So what I'm saying about, like I said, this is holiness. So what we're saying about going back to the bush, the sandals, the holy ground, uh, what all this kind of goes back to is God is getting Moses' attention. And what I, one thing that I found interesting is five minutes before Moses saw this burning bush, that ground was not holy, right? It was just ground like he was standing on and walking on. There was nothing special about that ground five minutes before this bush caught fire and, and was not consumed. So what changed with that? What made this ground holy? It was God's presence, right? God's presence made that ground holy. So God's presence now dwells with Moses, right? This is what God was showing him. I am, I am here with you. Don't come any closer. I'm an all-consuming fire. Take your sandals off. And, and, and what do we see? He was, he was in fear. He was afraid. He understood he was a man of unclean lips before a holy God, right? This is what uh, Moses was looking at. This, you could say this was burned into his conscience, right? That's a bad pun, but it was burned into his conscience that this is a holy God a, a image of him that I am looking at at this point. He is showing Moses the, the, distinct, the distinction between the set-apartness of or the holiness of God's presence. It is a, a, a wonderful picture that Moses saw in this time. So this is, this is what it meant for Moses. Now, what does it mean for us? Well, what that means for us is that we are, we are the temple of God. Those who are in Christ, we are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. We are that holy place now. We have been sanctified, consecrated, and set apart for a distinct purpose. Right? That's who we are as God's people. It means that if God has called us to be holy as he is holy, what dealings do we have with evil and sinful ways? We are in the world, but not of the world. Right? We are in the world to be light to the world. To be the light that points back to a God who saves, who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen. Right? Amen. God is good. God is so good to us. It's, it's, it's just a wonderful thing to see when we just ponder these scriptures about being in darkness, right? Where we deserve to be. And God pulling us out of that, giving us light to shine back into the darkness, to call others out of that. that that's who we are, not, like I said, not to be up here to look down. We are set apart to the side to point to something greater than where we are today. 
So as we close, remember that God is like no other and his holiness serves as a reminder of us, uh, a reminder to us of that. We have been called to be holy as he is holy. Uh, Moses was shown this through a burning bush and many other instances we will come to see here in the book of Exodus. But here are some questions that you must answer for yourself today. I want us to, to really think about these things as we leave. Ask yourself these, these questions. It's three of them uh, that I believe that we should be asking ourselves all the time. First question is, am I holy as my father in heaven is holy? Right. This is a command that's given to us. We are to be holy as our father in heaven is holy. Question two is holiness. Is it even evident in my life? When someone looks at my life, is holiness evident in my life? Is there evidence of holiness in my life? The third question, in what ways is my walk distinct from an unbeliever's walk? In what ways is my walk distinct from an unbeliever's walk? Now, what I am not saying with these questions is that we have to dress a certain way. We have to use certain words. We have to eat certain foods or drink certain things. Remember, it's the heart that God's looking at, right? Is it evident from my heart that with these things, is it evident that holiness is something I'm striving for in my life? Am I striving to be holy as my Father in heaven is holy? Is there a distinction in my actions, in the things that I do, in my interactions with my family, in, my, in the way I speak about my, my church family, my, my blood family, uh, my coworkers, my country, our president, whatever, is, is there a distinction in the way that I use words, in the way that I walk, the way that I talk? Is, is there a distinction there in, in who I am as a Christian? Now, what I'll tell you is if you're anything like me, no, right, no, no. Uh, big thumbs down. Uh, I, I'm nowhere near where I think I should be. Uh, and, and if you, like I said, if you're anything like me and you're nowhere where you think you should be, then praise God for that because that is a great, great place to be. Once again, we said God gives grace to the humble, right? But he opposes the proud. God came to save sinners, right? Not the righteous, not the ones that think they're righteous, right? He came to save the sinners. Have mercy on me, the sinner, right? We are the ones who sin daily. There, there's no... There is no, there is stopping that, but we, we do it freely, right? Uh, but as Paul said, uh, where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more, right? That is, he gives more grace. I, I keep going back to that God is gracious to us, not to allow us to wallow in our sins, but to point us back to him and how much better he is than anything that we have in this life. It is a beautiful truth. Holiness is a great thing. Right. It gets perverted by us as people when we look at people as, oh, you think you're holier than thou. Holier than thou is, is, is it's, it's a terrible phrase. Right. But being holy is a good thing. It's being godlike. Right. It's being godly. That is a, a good thing. But we have tarnished. Right. God's 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 desire for us. Right. We have perverted that. But we should strive for holiness to be set apart, to point to the one who saves us. Now, like I said, I, I am closing, uh, but with that, if we understand that we're at a place that we don't need to be or where we shouldn't be, that we should be doing better than where we are, uh, that there should be definite 
greater evidences of holiness in our lives or we're not even showing it at this point in time, there is uh, one thing or really two. There's, let me, let me just ask you, do you want to know what is the absolute best and quickest way to grow in holiness? Is that a yes or no? I mean, we can stop now or I can share this with you. Right. Amen. Right. OK, cool. So we want to know how we can grow. And, you know, we're the microwave generation. Right. We want everything quick and fast. So this is the absolute best and quickest way to grow in holiness. And I can say this with complete confidence. You want to know what it is? Two things. Repenting and believing in the gospel. I, we're saying amen. But is that do we believe that? Right. Repenting and believing in the gospel. Is that because it's it's. Right. What is repenting? It's turning from our ways. Right. What I think is best for me and trusting in what God has told me to do. Right. Is that what we truly want to do? God tells us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow him. So we can say amen. And it's good to say amen for that. But are we repenting of the things that we do in our lives that are not in line with his will for us? We must do that. We must repent and believe in the gospel. Believing in the gospel is not trusting in our own works. It's trusting in the finished work of Christ. That he, he, he did, he completed perfect holiness, perfect righteousness. He fulfilled the law perfectly, died the death that we deserved. And we can put our, put our trust in him that all our sins were nailed to that cross. And when he died, they died with him. And when he rose the newness of life, that is the newness of life that we get, right? That's, that's the gospel. That's what we, we have hope for this life and the life to come. When we repent of our ways and trust in what Christ has done, we can't help but grow in our holiness, right? It, it's going to happen, but we need to be striving for these things. So the, the repenting and believing the gospel is, is simple enough for a child to understand, right? It, it's, it's that simple. I'm a sinner in need, in need of saving, but it's, it's, it's deep enough to where we'll spend the rest of our lives trying to wrap our, hands, wrap our minds around it. It's, it's a beautiful, wonderful, I can't even, I don't even have the words for it, right? It's, 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 it's magnificent. We, it's, it's, it's a beautiful truth. But those are the two ways to grow in holiness, to repent and to believe in the gospel. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, we, uh, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how... You make yourself known to your people, how you show yourself in many ways through scripture. You use, as, as many have said, baby talk to speak to us. You're an infinite God speaking to a finite people. And holy is your name.